Welcome to The Real Deal Podcast, where we talk to Indiana music professionals about their careers who have been very successful, or as we call them, The Real Deal. My name is Rick Granlund. I'm the Director of Bands and Performing Arts Department Chair at North Central High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. Today we welcome Mr. Max Jones, retired Director of Bands from Concord High School. All right, so we have Max Jones here, and we're actually sitting in your kitchen here, Max. Thanks for having us having us in to, to chat with you. So, um, as I'm getting ready to do these, I always kind of think about um, you know the person I'm going to be talking to and, and getting the questions ready with with Connor and everything. And I just want to thank you for talking with me. And and I've always admired everything you you've done with band and heard of you long before I met you. And so thanks for having us in. Oh, it, it's a pleasure. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> There's nothing more I like more than talking about bands in mm-hmm. Indiana. <laughs> well, it'll be great. So. And we, we gave you a little little peek at the questions ahead of time, so you had a little bit of an idea of what we were going to talk about. Sure. If you're ready to go, and I, I just want to remind you, kind of form like, format like a basketball game, since we're Indiana. Of based. course. It seemed like a kind of a fun way to do it. So if you're ready for the first quarter, I think I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. All right. So can you tell me about just growing up, where you grew up? and Sure, and sure. Well, I was the son of a Methodist minister, uh, one of five children. I was actually born in Danville, Indiana, and uh, I was there until we moved to Winnemac in uh, 1950. So basically, my preschool was in Danville, and my elementary school was in Winnemac, Indiana, and my high school was in Princeton, Indiana. So basically, the north end of the state to the southern end of the state, and uh, you know what I, what I look back at it, and probably, I am a true band kid, in the sense that I'm the typical band member that you have in all of your bands, rather than the music major, um, and just crazy about band and love band, and uh, that's about all I knew was I love band, and I can remember back to Danville days begging my dad to take me from a church social, you know, there's a a dinner and all that in the evening, and tugging on his pants to, can we go now to the football game? I didn't even know what football was, but I knew the band was going there. And the the band, the school was at the catty corner from our block, which I was only allowed to walk down to the corner, but I could see the band on the other side, lining up in the street to march to the city park where where they played football. And so I remember that very vividly. And then, of course, uh, uh, that is preschool. Then I went to Winnemac for elementary. And um, Winnemac had a band, as every little town did but in those days. And actually, it was, a, a, from what I knew, a really good band. Uh, Charlie Byfield and his wife, Wilma, were the uh, music teachers in town. And I actually took piano lessons from uh, Wilma or Mrs. Byfield and uh, started my band career in fourth grade on tenor sax, which is a unique story, too, because, you know, (coughs) excuse me, I I started, uh, I actually started music uh, lessons in about second or third grade from the the little lady down the street who, who taught piano lessons. And you just learned to play songs. And, uh, and there's no background in, my, in the Jones family uh, of anybody in music or other than enjoying, appreciating, but there are no band directors, there are no music majors, etc. But it was something, I think, 
looking clear back to Danville was just a part of me. It's just who I am. Um, and so uh, when we went to Winnemac, I, I started piano lessons so that I could play some songs that I heard uh, on the radio. <laughs> and, uh, and then in fourth grade, I started and I chose the tenor sax because there was a, a girl in high school that lived on our block and uh, she played tenor saxophone. And so prior to fourth grade, I knew that she would take her horn home on Friday and take it back to school on Monday, which is a, a total walk of three blocks. And so on Monday morning, I would stand outside her house until she got ready to walk to the high school, which the, it was elementary, junior high, and high school all in one building. And I'd stand there and wait till she came out and beg to carry her horn to school for her. Mm -hmm. So that's why I chose the tenor sax. And the tenor sax in those days was bigger than me. <laughs> so anyway, that's how that happened. And uh, there, there was a private lesson program with Mr. Byfield. And so I would go to his basement and once a week and, and take a tenor sax lesson. And then I would take a piano lesson with his wife. And that was my musical upbringing. Um, I can remember even then being crazy about band. And my other love was trains. So it all fits in with my final destination at Purdue with the Boilermaker special and band. Uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> far, far be it. But, uh, so that was all in Winnemac. That, that was in Winnemac through sixth grade. So, um, yeah. So, so the, the, the band in Winnemac, the lessons were probably like once or twice a week at, pulled out of class or... Um, yeah. we were pulled out. We had, we, we had tonettes in the fourth grade and at the end of the fourth grade, we selected our instrument. And then in the fifth grade and the sixth grade, it was a pullout. Uh, the only time that we ever met as a, uh, as a band was in the, in the band room. And I, I, I vaguely remember that we really did have a band room in the building somewhere. And, um, uh, we had what was called junior high band, and it must have been sixth grade and maybe seventh and eighth grade, and it met in the summertime, as I recall, maybe once a week, something like that. That was my only true band experience other than a pull out of class. Do you remember or do you know what happened to those directors? I mean, you moved on from that town, but did, did they finish their careers in Winnemac? Did you... I, I really think they did. I, I did not have any contact with them other than I came back to visit uh, the year after we moved uh, south to Princeton. Came back and uh, so I, I stopped in uh, for junior high band in the summer uh, for, for one rehearsal just to visit and so on. And I think I must have had my horn or else they provide me a horn so I got to play. But that was pretty much the last of my contact with Winnemac until... Uh, I was at Concord and still no contact with the Byfields, but I found out just through a conversation that the uh, assistant principal at Concord Junior High School happened to take piano lessons when she was young from Mrs. Byfield. So we had the same teacher. <laughs> That's a nice connection. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, so the life of the Methodist minister is you get placed in different churches. Correct. That's part of how you're, so it was Danville, yeah. Indiana. Danville was five, uh, the first. Not Illinois. Or no, no, everything's Indiana. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so your father was getting reassigned yes. to different churches. Yes, yes, yes. So in, in my case, I was really lucky. There were, 
five of us, and I'm the only one that only had to go to two different school systems. You know, grades one through six for me at Winnemac, and then seven through 12 at Princeton. Mm -hmm. So I feel, I feel pretty fortunate in that regard. And so way down to Southern Indiana. Yes. For Princeton, what was Princeton's music experience? Well, like? you, you know, that it, when I look back, it, it's very interesting as to what it was. Um, seventh and eighth grade was a pullout class uh, at Lowell Junior High School. And there, there, there was at least one of, there were two other schools, uh, Baldwin Heights uh, School, which was out on the edge of town, and then the Catholic School in town. So, but uh, we were in a pullout class, and I think maybe in seventh and eighth grade, we might have met twice a week at the very most. And, uh, it, and then on Mondays after school, in the high school band room, there would be junior high band. So that happened once a week. And uh, that pulled the kids from all three schools, the, the junior high kids. And, uh, and I think we gave a couple concerts I, I can't really remember a whole lot, a whole lot about it. Um, what I do remember uh, uh, about Princeton, especially in the early part, uh, <clears throat> Lowell Junior High School was right next to a railroad track. And um, the seventh and eighth grade band got to march at the very last football game of the season, which means that we, we walked on on a block or sort of tried to stay in step in a block and came down the middle and the the uh, high school band had split into two groups and the junior high band came down the middle and then we played a couple of tunes with them and then went off. And we had little red jackets and white pants and you know all that. <laughs> that I all remember. But uh, I had decided by sixth grade when we left Winnemac, I was either gonna be a band director or a train engineer, one or the other. That was it. And so I don't know if it was seventh grade or eighth grade, but we practiced the night before the football game. So I think it was a Thursday night and with the high school band. And while we were practicing, a train went by. And it clicked in my mind that I was more interested in the band than I was in turning and watching that train go past. <laughs> so I think that moment on a football field in, in Southern Indiana is where the decision was made to be a band director. <laughs> Well, both professions take you away from home a lot. And, uh, <laughs> they do. They so do. They're similar in that regard. Yeah. So, well, that's, that's neat that you remember that moment. Oh, it, it, it's like, it, this has to be a typical band kid story because I just <laughs> wanted to be a band director. I didn't know what a music major was. Never heard of such a thing. Just band directing. So do you have deja vu when you're, when you, during your time at Purdue when you were on a football field and the band's playing and then that train, that I, train they drive I around do. goes by? And we make a train formation and take it down the field. So my gosh. It's all come full circle. It, it has absolutely. Yeah. And, and so what, what was, you talked a little bit about your seventh and eighth grade, not, not tons of memories about the band there at Princeton, but what was high school like and the directors? And, you know, we had, um. Princeton, uh, and I had never heard of the State Fair until I went to Princeton. Uh, and, uh, or, I'm sorry, I hadn't heard of State Fair Band Day and didn't know what it was. But the Princeton Band in the, uh, I would have gone to Princeton 57, I believe, and the Princeton Band was a powerhouse at the State Fair for several years there. And uh, I think they finished in the top three a couple times. And uh, so I saw this band, uh, I even... I knew that they practiced on Thursday nights 
And so I would go down to the field and watch that band practice. And, uh, you know, I just knew it, it seemed like a really big band and it was uh, very uh, full of energy, uh, just really fun. And uh, so um, when I got there, uh, I remember being watching one evening at, at the practice and the high school director uh, came past me. I was sitting in the stands. He said, hey, you're going to be in band next year. His first inkling that I had any idea that anybody knew who I was. And of course, I look on the other side now. Of course, I know who's coming up and want to be sure and say something to him. So, but he, uh, he ended up not being the director the next year. Um, for whatever reason, uh, they changed directors. And so we had a brand new director. Uh, his name was Norman Isabel, and he was only there for two years. And I, I, all that I know is a lot of the upperclassmen weren't happy about the change. And so, of course, as a freshman, you sort of mimic whatever the seniors are doing. And so, it, and, you know, I, I look back and some of the things that I was, you know, at least uh, on the outside looked like I was supporting on the inside. I love band, every bit of it. And uh, so there was the change. And then after two years, he went to a, a, another school and they brought in somebody from Illinois. And uh, he was a young director, Ralph Schlesinger was his name. And uh, probably right out of college, I'm not sure about that. Um, but uh, what he introduced was core style marching, which of course we'd never heard of. <laughs> in fact, I'm not sure Indiana had heard of it at that point. <laughs> and uh, so that's what we were and closed the ranks into shoulder to shoulder and you know, instead of spreading the street and so on, the Princeton man was about 120. There, that's the number that sticks in my mind, mm -hmm. and which I think was pretty big for those days. And especially when every school had their town, they schools weren't consolidated, or every school had their band, yeah. and uh, no consolidations. So, um, anyway, so we went through a series of changes, and what I really remember about the band is primarily social. Um, the marching band at Princeton, the band room was under the bleachers of the basketball field house, which was in Southern Indiana, one of the biggest field houses. And so we had concrete pillars that were holding up the concrete stands right in the middle of our band room. And that was our rehearsal room. Um, and so I look back at it, there was no band room at Princeton really in those days. And, um, one time, I, I know we, we were moved out of there, and I don't know if the band was too big to fit in the room. I think it is, that is the case. So they put us in a basically a cafeteria above, a, a space above a cafeteria, which had to be set up with chairs every single day. Uh, and that, and we, they basically lined the room up like a block band, and that's how we rehearsed. The, uh, the Princeton band in those days... It, the marching band was about 120, and I don't know how they did it with scheduling because, of course, I wasn't interested in that in those days. But at the end of marching season, those that didn't want to play in concert band just went to other classes or to a study hall. I'm not sure. So our concert band probably was about 80 people, and the rest of the people didn't play the rest of the year. They didn't want to. It was, just, it was really, you know, I look back and say, oh, my gosh. Different, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very different. So... 
And, and so that director, you had him for your junior and senior year? My year. junior and senior years, yes. And, and uh, Any contact with either of those folks after you became a music major? I used to see in my, um, in my years clear up through Winchester, so clear up to about, uh, about the mid-80s, I would see Mr. Schlesinger at, at Midwest. Okay. And, uh, of course, we we never really had dinner together, but we would talk briefly in the hallways and those types of things. And mm-hmm. I'm one of these people that, you know, he was my band director, so it's Mr. Schlesinger. I can't, I can't say Ralph. That's, yeah. that's just not within my powers. Well, I assume he moved on from Princeton and was somewhere else by that point. Yes, I, he, was near, he was in one of the suburbs of St. Louis. Okay. And um, I'm not sure what city that was, but never had any contact other than mm-hmm. Midwest. Now, now, you decided early on you wanted to be a, a band director or, or a training right, train right. conductor. So um, do, do you remember like what your process was You know, coming out of high school? Like were you already looking at schools or how did that all work for you? Being a Methodist minister, my, my parents, uh, of course, encouraged me to go to Evansville College at the time, now Evansville University, because it was a Methodist school. And being a, a you know, a, a minister's family, not, not uh, flowing with wealth, and five kids, uh, and both parents college educated and wanted the same for their kids, uh, uh, you could go to one of the Methodist universities at the time for a, a, a reduced fee. And so I'm sure they were hoping that I would go to Evansville. And uh, the other one that we visited was DePaul in Greencastle. And um, Evansville, I actually started taking private lessons there my junior year on piano. And um, so that was the first time I ever had formal music lessons from the quality that you expect in, in a university. Mm-hmm. And um, I also, uh, Mr. Schlesinger, my junior year said, you know, we need a bassoon and we'll buy a brand new bassoon if you would take lessons. So I took lessons on bassoon so that I could learn to play the instrument for the Princeton band. From uh, someone in Evansville? Yeah, it was, at the, it was at the university. Gotcha. Yeah. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, going back, you know, the Princeton Band, the only scale that I remember is the B-flat concert. I don't know if we ever played any other scales. We didn't do technique. You know, um, I don't even, re- I don't remember us getting a first division rating at, at ISMA, or it would be ISMA contest back in those days. Yeah, with one S. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. with one S. Yeah. I remember sitting on a stage at the end of Vincennes High School and playing, and I remember that we got a second division rating, but the judges commented on our flute, uh, first chair flute soloist, who studied privately her whole time, and I used to be her at a piano accompanist, and just raved about her. But she was probably, other than maybe one or two others, the only kids that took formal private lessons until I actually started going to Evansville College for piano, and that was, that's the one I went for on my own. Bassoon, well, since you're there, you might as well take a bassoon lesson also because they're going to buy a brand new instrument. And uh, so that, that was that. I, well, I, I didn't know about the bassoon until I read your uh, 
your question. Yeah, well... My wife said, I, I knew I always liked him for, for some reason. <laughs> well, if, <laughs> she might not like me as much if she if she knew what I know about bassoon. <laughs> well, there's been lots of people that have uh, been in, encouraged to play certain instruments to help the band out. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and I assume the organ came from from being a Methodist uh, it was. minister's son. It was, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in, in those days, uh, every church that we were associated with had a pipe organ. And uh, if, if I wanted to play it or the piano, it was over at the church. And so the, or, the organ was always of interest to me. And we had a, a good friend from Danville. He was the organist. And I, I'm guessing he was an organ major just out of college. Uh, I really don't know, but he was a really fine organist and ended up in Rochester, New York and in an Episcopal church. And so that sort of started the love there of knowing what it could be. And I've also always said, you know, it's a bit strange to be an organ major and a band director, but I've always said I have the complete band at my fingertips and foot tips. <laughs> you know, yeah. I push a button or pull a stop and... Away we go. I've got everything from full band to very quiet, very peaceful to <laughs> I can shake the rafters. <laughs> well, a lot of people have made the, the comparison of like the great concert band sound is like yeah. that, that of an organ. So. I use it all the time, yeah. or used to use that all the time, <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Well, that's great. Well, the way you break this down, so that, that's really the first quarter. The second quarter is your time. So you did eventually choose Ball State. What, what was your first experience? How did you find Ball State if you were looking at mainly Methodist colleges? But my, my entire, my mom's family and my dad's family are both from the Muncie area. Uh, so we always went to Muncie and uh, had uh, minister friends in the Muncie area and, of course, uh, even College Avenue Methodist was my dad's very best friend, which is right on the campus of Ball State. So we were around Ball State a lot. And in those days, it was Ball State Teachers College, which was uh, considered one of the best teachers colleges in the country, uh, rated very highly. And um, also with my grandparents and aunts and uncles and everybody in the area, I was sort of familiar with the area. And I really felt like I wanted to get to a bigger university. Uh, and I'm sure the thinking was because there are bands. And I, you know, when we would go to Evansville College and when we would go to DePaul, I would see the band. But quite honestly, in those days, you know, I wasn't looking at music schools. I was looking at bands. And the Princeton band, in my eyes, was a bigger and better marching band than those. I'm sure that's not the case but in my eyes, that was the case, you know. And so I was looking for something bigger and uh, ended up uh, getting a state scholarship to Ball State, not a music scholarship at all. And um, so uh, that sort of set the stage for going to Ball State. And you had family, family in the area, which is nice. Oh, too, yeah, so. yeah. And so when you arrived at Ball State, what, what was Ball State like for you? Who were the directors I, well, and the ensembles? Well, Mr. Dunn was the director. And the, the whole time, and I absolutely loved him. And even though we talk about how stern and some of the methods nowadays would not be acceptable, I absolutely learned a ton from him. Uh, and part of it is detail. 
and you know being first class and uh, high standard high high expectations and high standards um, and I, I I will say that some of the things that would not be acceptable now I didn't adopt in, in my teaching but the standards of excellence I certainly did and uh, really appreciate it my um, I, I was truly excited about it and the first we didn't have band camp in those days. So the first day of school was the first time I ever heard the Ball State Band. And it was the marching band, of course. And um, the very first note that band played, whatever the opening tune was, it was probably the pregame fanfare, I'm not sure. But it was that type of a piece. And it cut loose, and I had to stop playing because I had tears in my eyes and I had cold shivers about, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. You knew you were in the right place. <laughs> I knew that that very first note out of that band, oh my gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <clears throat> and so uh, several people have talked about Mr. Dunn and I, I, I did get to meet him and he, he was around Ball State when I was there. He was doing things with IMEA. Right, and right. He would, he yeah. would come in through the Coke lobby, and he drove this huge Suburban, I think. And <laughs> and so I certainly knew of him, and, and he had a presence about him. But yeah. I certainly wouldn't say that I knew him. Yeah. Um, but you did get to know him quite well. Yeah. Your time in, there. in my day, he drove a Cadillac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was before the Suburbans, I think. <laughs> so I've heard of his, you know, some of his... Tactics you know, are very much from that time period. Yeah but, yeah. but as far as like what what were rehearsals like and things like that with them? What were the just the how was the flow? And you know, I I would say there were there was always a plan and it was organized and it was efficient. Um, the band didn't practice every day, and I it seemed like it was a a Monday Tuesday Friday schedule or Monday Tuesday Thursday. I, I'm not quite sure. And now what, what that schedule was, but time, we had to make good use of our time. It, and uh, precision was very important. And it, it, it just, it, it really opened my eyes to what band was and how to go about uh, creating a, a good band. There was always a plan, for sure. There was always a plan. Whether we were aware of it or not, his staff obviously knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and then in concert bands, he, he did concert bands too. He did the concert bands, yes, in those days. And um, the wind ensemble was a, it, I believe that it truly was a wind ensemble, so very limited instrumentation. It wasn't augmented with, you know, extra people to make it sort of a glorified wind ensemble. And uh, then the other band was, I believe, called University Band. And that's the band I was always in as an organ major. There, there wasn't. Bassoon was not my instrument. Right, so you were officially an organ major. I, I started as a piano major. Long story short, when I went to Ball State, I wanted to be a band director. I didn't even know. They said, what's your, what's your major? I said, band. I didn't <laughs> know that you had to choose an instrument. So they chose it for me and said, you're a bassoon major, which I didn't really play very well at all. And when I finally figured it out, we were on the quarter system. So that'd be Homer Pence? Yeah. 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 But I'm not sure he was in, even involved. You know, they just looked at it and said, okay, he plays piano and he plays tenor sax and he plays bassoon. We need bassoons, so that's what you are. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, first of all, 
coming in, you, you get a rental instrument and uh, the rental instrument didn't work very well. So there wasn't much chance of getting much better on it. And, uh, and plus, I really didn't enjoy it uh, as something I was going to practice and spend hours and hours on and, in their opinion, be a major. Right. Uh, so when I figured out, I said piano. Because at the time, there wasn't an organ studio. Uh, but then um, my sophomore year figured that out, and Miss Malloy, I don't know if you know that name or not, but she was uh, she was uh, an icon in, in the music department in those days. And so I started taking organ lessons with her, and then the next year, my junior year, they actually hired an organ instructor from Texas. Okay. And... Uh, I absolutely fell in love with music lessons and practicing once that happened. So it was another light bulb. This is this is where you belong. Even though you want to be a band director, the major instrument should be organ. Gotcha. Uh, other like memories of like performances or trips or special events that happened during your time at Ball State? Anything like um, with with the marching band. Uh, um, Mr. Dunn did a great job as far as getting us around, uh, and, and I think that we actually were really good. At least we were very precise, um, and uh, we were just good. And um, so in his time, we, we appeared at professional football games. Uh, we, we played for the uh, Chicago Bears, and we actually played at Wrigley Field where the Cubs play. Wow. And I'm not sure why the game was there. I just remember being there. We also played for a playoff game, and that game was right before Christmas, and it was in um, Milwaukee. And uh, the, the teams that were playing were the Green Bay Packers, and the quarterback was Bart Starr, and the uh, Baltimore Colts with Johnny Unitas. Wow, that's quite a... And what I remember is it was the coldest game I've ever been to in my life. We actually had to put the band in the tunnel, which it's an open stadium, so the tunnel doesn't help a whole lot to unfreeze the instruments and try to keep them warm. And then we came out for halftime. We were on the sidelines the whole game, but it was 17 degrees. And then you take the wind chill up in Milwaukee and who knows what it was. But... Um, when, when we, did, we did our run-on and then started to play the opening fanfare and about half the sound came out of the band because the instruments had already frozen up again. Once we got going, then it, then it was fine, but quite, quite a memory. And then um, in the year when um, Lyndon Johnson was running for president, and I believe this is 64, um, there was a rally in downtown Indianapolis and uh, they were trying to decide uh, which university would play for the rally. And, and I believe that it was between Indiana, Purdue, Ball State, and Indiana State. And, of course, politics in, enters into all of that. And so the, the final talk that I heard was that it was going to be a partial band from Ball State and a partial band from Indiana State. And then evidently they decided that's not workable. So there was a, supposedly a flip of a coin and Ball State won the flip. So we stood on the steps of Monument Circle and played a rally. I don't remember much about it at all, except that's what we did. And then uh, Johnson did win the election, 
And so we actually went as the Ball State Band and marched in the inaugural parade. So that was really cool. Wow. <clears throat> that's yeah. pretty, I mean, Bart Starr, John Unitas. Yeah, Ellen yeah. Ellen Johnson, that's that's. Where it's and I was just a band kid. kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tennis axe player who majored in Oregon. Yeah. That's right, exactly. And it all worked out for you pretty well. It, it did work out just fine. <laughs> I've had a lot of great experiences. So as you were finishing up at Ball State and you were going to student teach, who did you student teach with? And what was, what oh, boy. So I student taught at Madison Heights in Anderson, okay. which you would... Uh, Mr. Patton? Then, no. No, okay. Mr. Barker. Mr. Okay. Francis Barker, who he I was his final student teacher. And um, at, at that time, of course, all the Anderson schools, in fact, all of Madison County was a powerhouse of bands. And... Uh, Actually, my, before I was born, my dad was at a little church in, uh, in a little town called Star City, which is just outside of Winnemac. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, in his youth group was Francis Barker. So this would go back clear to the mid-40s. And so, and his future wife, Joanne, was also in the youth group. So from the time that I was in high school, living in southern Indiana, it was discussed that I would student teach with Francis Barker in Madison Heights. <laughs> and so, you know, when assignments came down, you know, I, I it just happened. That, that's where I, where I ended up. So what was Madison Heights like back then? What was his rehearsals like and what was he um, I was there, I was not there with the marching band. I was there for the spring. Mm -hmm. And so I was there for concert band, which was really good. And the junior high school was located right next door. And they had a seventh grade band and an eighth grade band. And they met every single day, as did the high school band. And at the time, Madison Heights was considered the, uh, it was the academic, um, it was the level, it was the, the school in Anderson that sent the most kids to college. Uh, Mr. Barker told me that you know, about 80% of the Madison Heights kids went to college, which was a, a huge, huge number for that school. And um, so I was there for the concert season, which uh, they participated in ISMA. And what I got to watch was not only the daily rehearsals, which were just very good and very, very detailed, I also was a part of a music theory class, which I had, that didn't happen in my schools. You know, in my growing up, there was never such a thing as music theory. And um, so Mr. Barker, once I got involved, uh, they turned the seventh grade band over to me, basically as my lab. And, uh, and then of course there was the, the eighth grade band with Rex Kahn's and then the high school band with uh, Mr. Barker. And what they would do is not only rehearse in detail every single day, also one night a week, they would bring in uh, professors from Ball State to work with the band in sectionals and then in full band. So I would see, you know, uh, Wolf Legbont, clarinet instructor at, at Ball State, come over to, Anderson, or to Madison Heights. I would see Mr. Dunn come over and work the full ensemble. You know, I would see... Uh, Bob Marsh come over and work the the brass. 
Wow. So it was it was pretty amazing. And, you know, the detail, I had never been around that type of detailing in a concert band. And just the depth of the music. So, you know, my eyes, through, through my entire life, it's just my eyes are popping wide open. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. At everything I'm seeing. And... Um, the, the Madison Heights band was, everybody was in the band. It wasn't the A band, the B band, or the, you know, the top band or the second band. There was one band. And it, again, the magic number seems to me like 120, but that may not be at all accurate. But I remember that we played for Isma in the Wigwam, which is a rather large gym. Yeah. And, um, and I can remember... Uh, Mr. Barker talking to me after contest, which they got whatever a perfect score is. I'm guessing it was straight sevens in those days. And he, he, what he was so proud of was how the judges raved about how soft a band of that size could play with correct everything, you know. So, and, and then, then after, after ISMA, then they went and did their variety show, which variety shows in at least central Indiana were huge in those days. Yeah. Highland had theirs, Anderson had theirs, Madison Heights had theirs. Every, it seemed like every school had these big production variety shows. Yeah. We had that when I was still You were still, still there, huh? I was still okay. going, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a great experience. And he retired pretty quickly after that. And he retired. Uh, he, he retired to be the assistant principal at Madison Heights Junior High. Okay. And, um, and that, that's in, that actually was my first teaching job at the junior high. After a student taught, I, I continued on back to Ball State. After four years at Ball State, and that would be after student teaching, I was ready to graduate, but I had already planned to continue my fifth year because for one, I got to be a grad assistant with the Ball State Marching Band, that I'd been asked to do that, and of course wanted to do have that experience to be on the other side. And uh, Dr. Hargraves, who was the head of the music school in those days, and we knew everybody knew everybody like family. And um, so I was called into the office and said, technically, I was told that technically you you have not graduated in four years. You're short one-half ensemble credit, which amounted to the fact that because I wasn't in a major ensemble like the, the, the wind ensemble or the orchestra, I was not amassing credits like some students. I was always in the one that got one credit or they were, they were in the ones that got two credits or something like that for a four-year period, so didn't have enough even though I was in ensembles all the way. And primarily because uh, an organ major is not associated with those, you know, or at least I wasn't. And he said, I'm willing to waive it. And I said, don't worry about it because I'm coming back my fifth year to get my master's degree and to be a grad assistant with the marching band. So, so that was my plan. Um, so things didn't change. So did they work out your schedule so you could teach over there at that? Junior high during and still do your. What what happened was, um, so I was in I was in my fifth year and we were on quarters so fall was just fine, uh, a little before Christmas December I got a call from Mr. Barker he said we would like you to come and teach at the junior high school in general music and choir 
uh, second semester. Uh, the teacher who is there right now is not able to maintain discipline and et cetera, et cetera. We would keep him. He would be your accompanist. And we would really like you to come and do second semester for us. So probably, uh, I, it actually was a good deal, but it was probably just because I sort of idolized Mr. Barker. Anything he said, I'll do. <laughs> and so um, I tried to go to school winter quarter uh, by shifting classes so that it would be at night and, uh, and then started teaching in January. And um, that proved to be not, uh, not feasible. So I ended up dropping all but maybe one night class, which really was difficult also. Once you're a teacher, you're a full-time teacher, really. And uh, then spring semester, I didn't take classes just because of the job. And uh, that's where I, I, I learned a whole lot because I'm not a vocalist at all. Uh, and, but um, the, the young lady that I was dating was a, music, uh, a voice major, <laughs> Diane, who I married. Mm -hmm. And I had, had a former roommate who was a, uh, uh, a voice major. And then we had a really good friend who was a voice major from Anderson. So I figured out after watching Mr. Barker and all this that if you surround yourself with the right people, you can be pretty good. <laughs> and so I, I brought Diane and Marty and Don in and we would have sectionals with my junior high choirs. And lo and behold, we got to be pretty good. I also asked Mr. Barker about these choirs that I had to do. Uh, so how many are in them and all that type of thing. And he said, well, because of the change, we're going to let you recruit. So I got to recruit for the second semester and the eighth grade choir just happens that a lot of those kids, well, the eighth grade class was my junior high band from the year before when I was student teaching the seventh graders. They're now eighth graders. And you actually could do band and choir every day. So my eighth grade choir turned in to be my junior high band, <laughs> plus some other kids in the school. And so the relationship was really good. And uh, with the help of my friends who were the experts and me learning every single day, we had a really fun season. And so you just did that that one semester? And, yes. And yes. Did, how did you get your graduate work finished up? And did you do all that? Well, you had five years to get your master's degree. It took me all five years to get it. And so, all, all I had left to go was 17 hours. Okay. But... Uh, so you just fit it in summers and nights? Yes. As you could. Because after Madison Heights, then I went to Monroe Central and started teaching. So that's good to lead to Monroe Central. How did you come about the job at Monroe Central? What was your job not like? And how did that all work? Another story. <laughs> um... The, the band and the choir jobs were open. The, uh, the Monroe Central Band was a, a pretty strong little school program. And in fact, they probably had, I'm guessing, uh, 75, 80 kids in the band. Uh, and um, it was in the shadow of Wapahani, which was a huge band program in Selma, Indiana in those days. And Monroe Central was right next door and was sort of a, a little brother to, to, to the Wapahani program. I student taught him in our central. Doug. You're kidding. Yeah, with Doug. Oh so. my gosh. <laughs> I, know, I know a little bit about it. I was there. For oh, I guess. Semester. Well, I was in the building before the tornado had took it out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. So, um, 
Bruce Burns was the director, and he was, uh, he was, I believe, moving to California, family reasons. And so the job was open, and I knew that. The choir job was open also. So my former roommate, Don, he was graduating also. So Don and I applied for the band and choir job. And um, I was dating Diane, and Don was already married to his wife, Patty. And so, you know, we went through all the processes. And what I remember is... We had a snow day in February at Ball State, and um, and this would have been uh, probably this would have been in my student or when I was teaching at Madison Heights. So it was a Saturday, and we drove out to Parker. We hadn't heard anything, and so we drove out to Parker City, Indiana, and drove up to the superintendent's home, and the four of us went up the steps in the snow, and just knocked on the door and said. Uh, you know, Mr. Beck, uh, you know, this is, we are so-and-so, and, -so, and we, we just, you know, it was a beautiful Saturday, we went out for a drive, we just thought we'd just check in to see, you know, how things were going, and if, uh, where the process is for selecting band and choir. He told us later, that was the day that we got the jobs. <laughs> uh, that, you know, anybody that wants to teach that badly and is that excited, is coming out on a snow day, mm -hmm deserves the job. So supposedly that's how I got the job. <laughs> well, how long were you at Monroe Central? I was at Monroe Central two years. years. And um, the reason that I was at Monroe Central two years, um, well, first of all, it, it, I think it went really well. It was the first job that I'd ever had all by myself. And so probably they taught me a whole lot more than I taught them in those two years. Monroe Central was uh, in Randolph County, and the county seat was Winchester. And um, Winchester uh, is where my wife Diane is from. And so, uh, and she's from a very musical family, uh, almost almost like the Trapp family. Okay. It, it's, it's that kind of a legendary family in, in, in Randolph County. And uh, so, um, when the Winchester job opened up, um, her choir director, band director, was uh, Mr. Charles Buckley. And uh, because of the size of the program, they had uh, two years before split the job into choir and band. And Mr. Buckley chose to be the choir director, and so they hired Rick Bueller as the band director. And so two years later, uh, uh, Mr. Bueller uh, chose to leave and actually went to Pendleton Heights, I believe. And so I applied for the, the Winchester job, partly because that's where Diane's family's from, partly because everybody knew Diane and loved Diane. <laughs> and so I, that's my answer as to how I got the job. <laughs> they liked Diane and wanted to bring her home. So uh, I went from Monroe Central to, to Winchester and uh, was there for 13 years. And what was the Winchester band like when you got there? Uh, I think that the, the Winchester program was an average high school program. Uh, they had good numbers. Uh, the school was about 750 students, and they had a uh, they they valued music, uh, both band and choir, and uh, had had been a part of the community for a long, long time. They even had a, a community orchestra that would play for the musicals every year. So uh, it, it it was a it was a place for music. Um, well, you had a lot of success during your time there. Um, lots of trips and parades and right, contests. Right. What are some of the 
highlights and great memories from those years? I, I think that being in Winchester, I was at the right place at the right time. Um, they 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 uh, would tell me in the administration building that uh, when I interviewed for the job, I, I told them I could win a state championship. And I think that's folklore because when I was hired in 1970, state championships didn't exist in the state of Indiana. So I'm pretty sure I didn't say that, but <laughs> it makes for a good story. <laughs> so... Um, Anyway, I, I continued to learn and watch. You know, I, I sort of, I was a sponge all the way. The background that I didn't have, I watched directors after directors. Even in college, I, I would see a poster in the music building at Ball State that said Ben Davis Band Concert, Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock. I would literally drive to Ben Davis to go to a band concert on a Sunday afternoon or whatever day it might be. I would, you know, in the summertime, I would run with Diane all over mid-central Indiana, running up to watch the Newcastle Band rehearse. I would run around to watch the uh, Anderson Band rehearse, the Madison Heights Band, the Marion Band. You know, I watched everybody. And even when, when I was in college, it, through some of the uh, band methods classes, there would be people working on their graduate degree who were already directors. So I would get to know them and say, could I come and visit you, spend a day at your school and watch you? So it, 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 was, it was sort of my way of educating myself, but it was flat out just because I loved it and loved getting to watch all of these people. You know, eventually that, that became John Parshall and Don Hoffman you know, all, all of these legends that here in the state of Indiana, if, if, it, if they were in central Indiana, probably chances are good that I was sitting on the sidelines either in their classroom or I was at their marching rehearsal watching and just figuring out how you do all of this. Yeah. So, Well, those folks, from my experience, the really great folks are always friendly. And oh, yeah. Too. Absolutely. So Winchester was in, in that stage when... Um, also, the drum corps influence was coming into Indiana. Um, at, at least for me, when I was in college, I'd never heard of a drum and bugle corps uh, per se, other than, you know, like the little scouts group or that type of thing, some local. But the, these big corps, the, you know, the, the Cavaliers or, you know, any of those, I didn't know anything about that. But one of Diane's cousins was also a music major, and he took Diane and I to a drum corps show in Marion, Ohio. And I think that was called the U.S. Open in those days. And I was just blown away by what I saw, you know. And, and those were truly bugles in those days. But uh, the stuff that I saw was un unbelievable. So by that time, Frank Venus at, at Shenandoah had won the state fair with, uh, this is probably early to mid-70s. Uh, the little Shenandoah band was, he, they were on the cutting edge of what drum corps were. And so they were using the glide step, which meant you could play a whole lot better than you did with the high step. And uh, they also were just doing some things that we hadn't seen in Indiana. And they actually were they, a band of, say, I don't know, 80 was taking on the Ben Davis Giants, who were giants in those days. Uh, and uh, actually coming out on top just because it was so unique. It was really good, 
but it, it was just, anyway, so that was happening, and I knew Frank, and we'd go watch him also. In fact, uh, some of Diane's cousins were in the band. Yeah. Because <laughs> so. you, you knew Frank? Yeah. I, I, I met him when he wasn't a band director later on, and, and Steve Purcell is like, someone that I love dearly, and they were really close friends, but Frank as a band director is someone I, I wouldn't be able to even speak to that. What, what, was, what was he like? Well, uh, it, it, was, uh, it was definitely a family affair, <laughs> so he and his wife ran that band, and you know, they were first-class people, and that band was just, it was first-class all the way. Um, I actually, one of Diane's cousins uh, was a, a band mom. So, uh, you know, I, which I witnessed it, you know, from a family perspective and also just, just watching them rehearse. And, you know, it, it's just another classic Indiana example of, of the stuff that, that was going on. I don't know anything about their concert program. I know about their marching program. But it, it was just, it was clever what they were doing, you know, great creative process and uh, just, it, it was just really, and it was exciting. Wow, that's fascinating. <clears throat> yeah. And so, so back to Winchester, you did do some cool trips and parades. Any certain ones that stick out to you as just being really memorable? As yeah, as the, um, the, Diane and I grew up in big families. And we couldn't travel a whole lot. My family vacation was normally to grandma and grandpa's for two weeks in the summertime. And we would go at Thanksgiving and we would go at Christmas, especially coming from Princeton all the way up to Muncie. And once in a while, we would do something like go to the Smoky Mountains or go to Niagara Falls. But that was it. And Diane's family, uh, being from six kids and her, her parents ran the Randolph County home, they traveled as a family to... Uh, um, North North Webster to the lakes up there, and would rent a cottage and with other family members, and they had a a boat and that type of thing. So that was theirs. So we weren't travelers. So um, we early on in our marriage started traveling extensively around the country, and just absolutely loved it and opened to our, our eyes to how much we don't know, and so we felt like. Uh, in the experience with Monroe Central, we actually went to the state fair both years that I was there. We were a state fair band, which I didn't know a whole lot about it, but we were a state fair band. And um, I can remember asking my first year, uh, we were talking about going to Indianapolis and somehow asked, how many of you have ever been to Indianapolis? And hands went up in the band. And I was surprised. And somehow we got around to the conversation, how many of your parents have been to never been to Indianapolis, and there were hands that went up, like, oh my gosh, there's a lot to be said for traveling. And then, um, you know, I started seeing the, the, um, the benefits socially within the band program of drawing them in as a family because they had so many experiences together, not only in the band room, but also outside the band room when they would go to this and eat at McDonald's or, you know, all these things started to click. You know, there's a lot more outside the classroom. It's not just in the classroom as far as developing not only myself and my family, but their families also into exposing them to a broader world through music. And uh, so that's kind of the, where I was when I went to Winchester. And um, 
The Winchester uh, program started, uh, I think 1973 was probably the first year of the Indiana State Marching Band Championships. And we had gone to ISMA, you know, the district festival and been okay. And then we went, uh, so in 1973, we went to the first uh, contest. And uh, lo and behold, we ended up second. And uh, the first place band was Angola. This is class B. There were three classes in the beginning days and Winchester was a class B school. And um, so we were second. First place was Angola. Third place was Blackbird County with Bill Fred, who was somebody that I idolized. And my brothers actually, eventually my dad went to Hartford City. And so I had two brothers and a sister in Bill Fred's bands. And I used to go up and watch them. And I was totally shocked that we were in that kind of company. Uh, and so, um, you know, again, it's, it's all discovery and hard work and attention to, to detail. And you just keep watching and learning. And you're learning from your kids also along the line. What creates this desire to really want to be good? And, it, you know, if it's forced from the top down, I figured, was figuring out, it ain't going to happen. It's going to happen because they love it just like you do. And they want to be good. So that, so we had that first year. And then uh, 74 and 75, uh, the band actually won the next two state championships. And I can remember 74, great. 75, I can remember my principal standing to me after the performance, which was, uh, I think it was at... Um, Northwest High School parking lot because we had terrible rains. The fields were destroyed and we marched on a parking lot and we actually had a an entrance off the back sideline. They had telephone poles along the back sideline lining the rim of the parking lot from a field, I think. And we literally had to march, step over a telephone pole as we were marching onto the field. In, in the show was going, <laughs> and, and but they 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 made an allowance for that. They would discount anything anybody that had that that type of issue. But after we performed, I I can remember my principal saying, you know, first of all, very supportive and great job. But just just understand, it's much easier. It's much more difficult to win a second time than the first one. And I said, sure. I understand. And then we won again. So I, th I thought, oh, wow, that was really an achievement. And, and again, this is a principle that I absolutely idolized. So just had really good mentors all along the way. And with those types of things, by this time, um, the Winchester Band was becoming well-known outside of Winchester, Indiana, more or less around the state of Indiana. Far, it, it had a far greater reach with a reputation than I even understood. But in, in that time, um, we applied for the parade in Philadelphia, which in those days was a big deal, the Gimbel's Parade, and was national TV, etc. And we were in that parade. And I think we were in that parade in 1976, but I'm not positive because I think it was the sesquicentennial. And uh, we were actually the band who was with the uh, parade, the Grand Marshal of the parade, who was Hank Aaron. And I, I just recently, I've got a picture of my percussion kids, my drum line, with Hank Aaron standing in the middle of them. So, 
that's the first really big thing as a result of quality, other than you know going to North Webster to the Mermaid Festival or marching in Winchester at Mardi Gras or you know little local things. This is the first really big national recognition that we were sort of okay. We have some credentials, realizing that so on. So then in 1978, we applied and uh, we were accepted for the Orange Bowl in Miami. And in those days, Miami had a contest, uh, or the Orange Bowl had a contest, which was called the Great Bands of the Orange Bowl. And it, and it was considered to be the national championship. Uh, this was, Bands of America existed, but as a summer time activity up in Whitewater, Wisconsin, it was not you know, a fall national type of thing. And so this contest featured champions from around the country. And I think it was 10 bands, but I'm not sure of that. And um, what I did know was the, uh, the open class champion from Bands of America, which was Live Oak, California, was there. And the uh, Class A or uh, whatever the division level they call it, Monticello, Illinois, was also there. And several champions from other states were in this contest. And so... I remember practicing in, in December over at Ball State. In the, it was kind of a Quonset Hut field sports building. And I can remember going over there a couple of times to practice and then practicing in a park down in Miami and then doing the contest. And uh, when they announced the winners, um, you know, I, and it was probably top five maybe. So I, I heard them say Monticello. Uh, somewhere in the top five. And when they got down to two bands left, our name hadn't been called. And so they, number two was Live Oak, California, which I had had my seniors up in Wisconsin in the summertime sitting on the hillside watching the Live Oak band practice and then talking with the kids, my kids talking with their kids about how do you do this? How do you do this? And, and just literally taking notes of we we just really admire everything you do and what can we do to be like you and so when they named live oak as this the runner-up to the in the contest my only thought was we didn't place at all well they announced the winner and because i was already you know getting ready to console my kids you know you did a great job and so on I didn't even hear them say that Winchester had won the national championship. And so I, I didn't even go up. They had to come get me and say, you got to go up there. Go, go up there. You just won. <laughs> so, you know, it's sort of my story. <laughs> Things happen, and I'm never quite sure <laughs> what's going on, <laughs> except it just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> wow, that's a great story. Yeah. Well, before we go on to um, your, your other stops here, let's pause here. And halftime's been kind of a, a really fun thing for us. Um, everybody has their own taste and memories with pieces, and it's hard to whittle things down to like a piece or a couple pieces. Right. I don't know if you were able to whittle down to a favorite piece, um, but I'm curious what that might be. I've got two for you. <laughs> All right. Let's yeah. Now I had to be sure of these today. Uh, so... My very favorite piece um, is Aspen Jubilee. Okay. And uh, first of all, the person that introduced it to me was Jay, Jay Gephardt, uh -huh. who has been a dear friend of mine for many years. As a matter of fact, 
Soon after Jay was out of college, I actually hired Jay on my marching band staff at Purdue. I'm sorry, at Concord. So I've known him for a long, long time. Now he's my boss. (laughs) So, you know, complete circle there. But um, I I heard uh, his band play it at Purdue, and I loved the piece. I I already knew Rocky Point and had tried to play Rocky Point several times. And, you know, we, that would be in our folders and that would be a sight reading type of thing, not sight reading. We're going to try this and see if this fits this band. It never fit any band I had. <laughs> we just, we don't have the horses to play Rocky Point yet. If I, and if you hear a bad recording, you don't want to play Rocky Point. But yeah. if you hear a good band, it's awesome. Yeah. So uh, when I heard Aspen Jubilee, uh, I talked to him about it and it, it I just absolutely loved it, like I did Rocky Point. And so uh, I had the band in 2002 at Concord that uh, could actually play it. And it fit the band really, really well. So uh, it, it's sort of just because of all of the connections it has become probably my very favorite piece. Um, but going back to my early start, you know, you've heard some... So much of my life has been around marching bands and being an Indiana band director. Um, the concert side of it actually started, of course, the only really serious concert band I ever had prior to graduating from college was the university band at Ball State. You know, I, I told you my Princeton experiences were, were very limited. And in, in the schools where I went to school, there were no jazz programs at all. That didn't even exist. That was something that you listened to on the radio. Um, so my, I had a couple buddies at Ball State and one of them was from South Bend and a lot more worldly than me knew about Midwest. And so we went to Midwest Band and Orchestra Clinic and I don't even remember the hotel. It's in a different part of the city. It was downtown in the loop, but I don't even think that hotel exists where it used to be and uh, used to sit in the room, and they actually would have film strips with the scores up on a screen. So the band would be in front of you, and then a screen high above you, and there'd be something, a person turning a film film strip projector, you know, turning the knob to turn the pages so you could watch. Anyway, it was, I'm sure it was 1969 because I looked it up, but the band that was on the stage was uh, Wichita Parish, from Louisiana, I think Monroe, Louisiana, possibly. And Jack White was the uh, uh, director of that band who has now gone on to bigger and better. He had a great career. Of course, I didn't know that at the time, but they opened with Procession of the Nobles. And for me, it it was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea high school kids could play like this. This just, it just totally blew my mind. And again, the goosebumps and so on to realize what high school kids could actually do. My, my environment for concert band was Ball State University. Didn't really know other than being at Madison Heights, you know, for contest. I didn't really know what was out there. Going to a Ben Davis concert on Sunday afternoon, uh, my, my experience was pretty limited. But when I saw that, it just changed everything about you know, the stars just got a lot higher and you got to start reaching a whole lot higher than you are right now. So, uh, and their their opening number was Procession of Nobles, which 
the very first year of the uh, uh, Isma State Concert Finals, I was at Southport, and we were actually the host school. And so we played Procession of the Nobles. And uh, it, it, I guess it came off pretty well, because <laughs> we finished pretty high in the contest. So, well, those are two great pieces. Yeah. Two great yeah. stories. So yeah. That's awesome. Well, so let's move on here to the third third portion here. So, um, lots of wonderful times at Winchester and hometown to your, to your wife. Yes, so, absolutely. Um, how did you decide to pursue moving on to Southport? How did that work for you? Well, uh, the Winchester program, I was there for 13 years. So, um, I was there from 1970 to 1983, and by that time, Indianapolis had, was starting to turn around from being the nap town to actually, uh, it was the time of the opening of the RCA Dome, and I was involved in ISMAF, the, the, uh, the state association, both through the ISMA, the old 1S and the new 2S, and also in, in the negotiations with NISPOVA. So, I was spending a lot of time going to Indianapolis um, with, uh, on the board a uh, couple times as president. Um, so I was seeing Indianapolis wake up. And at the same time, um, we had our son, uh, Gavin, was born in 1981, so about my 11th year at, at Winchester. And Winchester was... It, it was still a it was a still a great school, but the communities were not growing. And what I was seeing was um, my kids that would graduate from Winchester Community High School and, and go on to college. So many of them did not come back after college. And I also a lot of the families that Diana and I ran with also were choosing to relocate. Uh, for whatever reasons, to other cities. So uh, Winchester Community High School uh, student population dropped from 750 when I went there in 1970 to approximately 500 students by the time I left there in, uh, after 1983 or in 1983. And um, so I found myself going to Indianapolis and then coming back into town and having a, a young son and not being excited about being here, and it wasn't the school at all. It was the fact that the opportunities that I saw opening up in the Indianapolis area, just, it was so exciting to see that. And um, so Diane and I worked uh, for ISMA, or, and it was in those days, it was ISMA Nisbova sponsored the State Soul and Ensemble Contest at Butler. <coughs> and so um, we were, we were talking with Dan Bolin. I was talking, and Dan's a good friend of mine, was then and still is. And uh, just saying, you know, that uh, interested in uh, leaving Winchester. And Dan just perked up and said, really? And so then went on to tell me that he was going to leave Southport and become the assistant principal. This would be at Solon, State Solon Ensemble. And it was sort of like, as I look back on it, from that moment on, I was destined to be the band director at Southport. Everything went in that direction. And so um, I, I announced in May that I would be leaving Winchester uh, you know, after I'd signed the contract. And, and Winchester, they, they, they tried to do everything. They said, is there anything that we 
can do for you. To, I said, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with family and that I would like for my family to grow up in a more metropolitan area. And I also, what I loved about Winchester in the hometown was it was relatively Indiana conservative. You know, it wasn't wild and crazy, uh, or at least the part that I knew. <laughs> and um, so I was hoping to be in a school some system sort of like that. And then talking with Dan, found out that Southport and Perry Meridian were the same school district. Perry Meridian was the new, all the new homes and so on. And Southport was the old Grand Homecroft area and, the, you know, the big homes. And, and this is old Southport. And the reason for two high schools is because it had become the largest school in the state of Indiana. And so they split it into two schools. So, um, so I ended up at Southport for the, and that was it. And, um, you know, it's where I wanted to basically retire. That's where I want my career to be. <clears throat> and how long did you, did you end up being at Southport? <laughs> Another story, of course, two years. <laughs> and so what were the two years like? Did you, did you enjoy the change? You know what? Um, the Southport program was not the Winchester program. Um, it, had, it had been well known under Bill Schmalfell, and I'm not sure who else before that, as you know, as a state fair program and, and, a, and a good playing band. And uh, what Dan Bolin had was a really fine playing band. And there was some size there at Southport. Uh, Lissa Fleming at the time, now Lissa May, was at Perry Meridian. And um, what uh, essentially Dan wanted me to do was keep the concert program and build a marching program at Southport. So it's sort of like, more like the perimeter schools around Marion County, you know, like the Ben Davises and the, you know, you know the ring. So uh, that was the idea and it would take some time to do that. And, uh, and of course, that's when I met Lissa. And probably two of the most fun years of my entire life because I now had a staff at Southport that I, we loved. And Diane, Gavin, and I, a little two-year-old, we ran with them. It was, it was pretty funny, but it was just, it, we became family. And, and the family was also the Perry Meridian family. Lissa, they flat out adopted us and brought us in. It, it, they were some of the most fun times uh, of doing things, calling, hey, what you doing after school? We'll meet so-and-so and do that or you know, it, it was really fun. And of course, my second year, Jeff Furr was my assistant at, uh, at Southport. So that's probably the, the most fun year of really two family groups of teachers that just loved being together all the time. So, you know, cool. and lifelong friends came out of it. Mm -hmm. So that, that's really cool. The teaching, um, of course, I was brought in to change the Southport marching band. And so that was a battle um, because they weren't used to doing it the way I wanted to do it. And uh, I had sort of learned that on summer jobs in college. You know, when you go from one job, uh, you know, for example, I worked on the railroad two summers and I would fill in uh, doing uh, vacations for different uh, people. And so I, I might even be in different towns. And I'd, I'd get it down for three weeks and I'm really good at this and then I'd move on to the next one. Supposedly it's exactly the same or it's even easier. It's a whole new game. 
you know, how this job actually works and how, who you work with and that type of thing. So was Southport. You know, by the time I left Winchester, it was mine, you know, and it, it was great. And to this day, it still is, in my opinion. Um, and But I thought I knew all the ropes and came in and had to learn a whole new set, you know, relationships and how things work in a school system and, and kids and that type of thing. And we were also in the first, we were in the second year of forced busing uh, for desegregation purposes. So it was a stressful time also uh, for lots of reasons. Not so much so in, in the band area, but it was a stress situation, you know, in Marion County in, in those days. Um, so, you know, changing the marching band was something that essentially what uh they, uh, I was advised to do was, it's going to take four years, you know, effect the changes that you want with your freshmen, then next year will be with your freshmen, sophomores, and then it'll be on through. And uh, what I, and I went along with that till about November. And then um, the students had a meeting without me, which I sanctioned, said that'll be fine. You know, I think it was like before the last football game or something like that. But then other students who were happy to have me there told me that basically what they said is, you don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And it will be magic when we put the uniform on. Everything will be good. And so it was after Christmas I sort of decided, okay, I'm going to be here a while and you're not. So I, I guess it's a choice. Either you're in my band, you're not in my band, but it is going to be my band. So um, we should have had about 192 in the program my second year, and instead we had 120. They, they, they chose to find the highway, which was absolutely fine. If you're not happy with the way things are, then do something else. And it was one of the most exciting years of my career. One of the most, I just cannot believe the turnaround in the band program. And we we had band camp, and we did it like I would do at Winchester, I'd learned to do. You have your freshman week, and then you bring your upperclassmen in for a couple weeks, but in your freshman week, you invite your upperclassmen to come back and help the, the young ones learn. And so with the Southport Band, um, we had all but, in, in the volunteer week, of course we had the freshmen there, and we had all of the upperclassmen come back voluntarily, except for, I think, about 15 or 16. Everybody came to help the, the new kids, which is exactly what it's all about. And so the following week when those came back, including a couple kids that were really strong personalities and really good musicians who had been jerks the previous year, a couple of them came back that second week. And without doing anything myself, within about two or three days, the whole attitude changed, and it was peer pressure. You know, and it wasn't anything that was done that was threatening, and it's flat out, this is what we are doing this year, and this is the kind of band we're going to have. And So it, it was one of those things that I learned a whole lot, you know, from the kids, and I'd seen it happen in Winchester also, but it's not that I planned it, it's, it's from the ground up. Yeah. And that's here you have Jeff come in too. Jeff is new. Jeff came in, yeah. which, you know, is a great, great addition. And uh, 
And of course, you know, I I had some of my Winchester kids there helping with the, the week of band camp, you know, mm-hmm. so they know the system and they were great kids too. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, then we went on and that was the first state concert contest. So yeah, just a couple of years, but they were exciting years. And yes, yes. What, what led you to move on to Concord and how that all happened for you? Oh dear, that's the best story of all. <laughs> uh, Concord, um, of course, was a very, very big program under Joe Bikeman. Um, in fact, they had named themselves the, the Giant Marching Minutemen Band, very similar to the Ben Davis name. Uh, so the Concord Mar- Giant Marching Minutemen Band. And they were very big, and they were a show band. And, uh, you know, I had seen them uh, occasionally and <coughs> excuse me, had actually competed with them, but not knowingly because they were so far away. Um, but uh, anyway, the reason I went up because uh, Joe passed away and uh, the job was open and everybody was talking about it you know, this, this job in Northern Indiana. Well, what had happened to me was my minister from uh, Winchester had moved to Elkhart and his son who played trumpet for me was playing trumpet in the Concord Band. And Jim called me and said, hey, you need to come up and look at this program. This is you. And uh, the other story is that I'd heard that Joe had the best music office in the whole state of Indiana. <laughs> so I put my name in and said, it was a, it was on Southport letterhead and it was one sentence, dear sir, I would like to apply for the job of director of music for Concord Schools. Sincerely, Max Jones. That was my application. <laughs> and uh, so I called the superintendent the night before the interview and said, I need to be honest with you. I'm only coming to see our friends and to see this office. I do, I'm not coming, I don't want the job. And he said, you come anyway. So went up, saw our friends, saw the office, and hit it off with the principal, Diane and I. And uh, we spent about five hours there. We were supposed to be there an hour. And they had 80 to 90 applicants. And what I found out years later was that the, uh, the administration at Concord had already made a decision that, uh, and, and Joe was a legend, uh, the person who had died, uh, he passed away of cancer at the age of 40 and was a legend right there. Yeah. And so um, <clears throat> they had made a decision to try to find somebody who could survive the shadow of Joe. And, and their choice was to do that or find somebody who would be there for a couple years and then they would hire the real director that would be there for a long time. And, uh, you know, I thought because it looked very similar to the Concord program, I'm sorry, the Concord program looked very similar to the Winchester program, you know, with, you know, their handbook and everything. They look just like carbon copies of each other. And this is, you know, the excellence they strive for, everything. And it's a big marching band. I thought it would be a shoe-in after Southport turned the corner in two years, you know. I thought, even though everybody says four years, this will go really well. Wrong. It was really difficult. Hardest thing I ever had to do in my life. Um, I thought it would be, you know, I thought people would see that since he had passed away, 
it was in the, their best interest to get the very best person they could to continue this. But instead, there was nothing that I could do right in their eyes because it wasn't the way Joe did it. And, uh, you know, I, I understand that. And it, it's most unfortunate because the, my, my intention was to do what Joe would have wanted and to build that program to the biggest and best that I possibly could. And eventually, I think we did that, but it, it was hard. And I had an administration, I had a music secretary who resigned her position on the school board when I came to be my music secretary, essentially, to protect me from, uh, you know, to take care of all the things that people would not be, you know, they were older and wiser than me and uh, they knew what they were doing. And so, but they never wavered. And uh, what's more, it never wavered for the 21 years I was there. The support was unbelievable. And, you know, I'm really lucky that it happened. But my initial was, I don't even want the job. I don't want to come here. And they actually offered to me at three different times. And I, I turned it down three times. And finally I said, I can't afford to move. Uh, and, uh, and I knew by state law, school corporations couldn't move you. And so I said, I, I just can't afford it. And so they called a few days later and said, okay, got it all figured out. The band boosters will move you. <laughs> and finally, after talking with Dan at Southport and Dr. Bodie, they said, you know, we do not want you to leave, but you're crazy if you don't. You know, all the things that they're offering to do, you're just crazy. Mm -hmm. And so I accepted, and the rest is history. <laughs> well, yeah, quite a history. So uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned some memorable performances from other schools. What are some memorable performances from Concord? Um, you know, Concord was a well-rounded program. Uh, I inherited a program that had an orchestra, which Southport had an orchestra. That was my, the first time that I had been in a program with an orchestra. And uh, Concord had an orchestra. They had a jazz program. They had a concert band and they had a marching band. So it had everything. And my position there was director of music. So I, it was K through 12. So I was basically the administrator for the whole thing. And what was great was, first of all, we had the support so the, the music faculty grew. By the time I, I left there, the, the school was growing and the program was growing to the point that I believe that we had approximately 15 full-time teachers from K through 12. And we were team teaching everything uh, in the instrumental part of it. So uh, from the very beginning, sixth graders were team taught. So there was a woodwind person, there was a brass person, there was a percussion person and sometimes multiples. So everybody was getting the instruction and then they could put, be put together. And we had the facilities as we were building to make those happen simultaneously. So first period was beginning beginners. Second period was eighth graders. Third period was seventh graders. And you could be scheduled, if you could be an eighth grader in beginning band. So we, you know, things were just really, really good as far as building a program. And then, um, you know, we, we sort of had the, uh, Joe, Joe was a great PR person. And so that band was well known throughout the country and even the world. And so 
I didn't have to build those bridges. They were already there. So the opportunities to travel were inherent in just inheriting the program. Uh, so Macy's was on the docket. The Orange Bowl was on the docket. Um, you know, we could have gone to the Rose Bowl, but I chose not to march that many miles and instead went to the Hollywood Christmas Parade because <laughs> it was a lot shorter and it was the same destination. <laughs> uh, you know, the opportunities to travel and then the opportunities with our jazz program and multiple directors to get out and about and, and grow. It, it was just, it was sort of a culmination. And the, the, the thing that I like the, the most is it's Concord. It's the Concord system and almost every person, you know, in that are people that in some way are a, poor, a part of my life, you know, in supporting, you know, my ideals and so on. Some of them are my former students. Some of them are my former student teachers. And now it's gone to the next generation. Some of the young ones are now teach, uh, students of the current current uh, teachers there now. So That's cool. Well, so then you decided to retire, but not really retire. So um, <laughs> tell us about your time at Purdue since you've officially sure. retired. How many years have you been retired now? My, uh, I retired officially in the spring of 2006. And then went to work full time. <laughs> Correct. And this is 2020 and I'm still at Purdue. So, yeah, so uh, this is Jay Gephardt's fault, <laughs> flat out. So Jay, uh, whenever he would come up to Elkhart, he would stay with us. I mean, spend he'd spend family time with us and spend the night because it's a little bit of a haul up there. And Plus, he loved our dog, Broody. <laughs> and so... Um, so, like I said, we've known Jay for a long, long time. So Jay already, he, he knows, he knew what was in my mind as far as retiring and so on. And he also knew that Bill Kissinger was getting ready to retire. So I think it, it was Jay's mind to get me, what if you took a sabbatical in the fall of 2005 and came down and tried the waters here, and then maybe you could apply for Bill's job. So I came down, took the sabbatical, which that put Concord on notice that I was going to retire. <clears throat> and uh, so um, I came down with the idea that if I liked this working with college kids, which I really didn't think I would, you know, I had never had a desire to be a college director at all. High school was where I loved. And um, but my idea was probably because Diane wasn't ready to retire. I would then go back and retire from Concord. And then if I really liked the college, I knew, I know Ken Dye over at Notre Dame. I could go over there and be a rehearsal assistant with the Notre Dame band. That'd be fun. And uh, and I could do, you know, sectional type work with any of the Elkhart guys, just not Concord, because I don't want to be, you know, in the, in the way of, you know, they need to get out from under my shadow if I retire from the job. I could go over to Penn, be with Keith, you know, any, anything to keep my fingers in this and let Diane finish her teaching career in elementary music. So that was in my head. And then um, essentially the faculty here at Purdue talked me into applying for the job, Bill's job. And so I did apply for that. And I said, okay, finally, I will do it. But I want you to know when you find the candidate that's going to be here for a long, long time, I will withdraw my candidacy because 
I'm at retirement age and it's this isn't going to be long. So the end of the story is that I got the job. That, that magic person didn't show up, so I got the job. And so I told Jay that I would be here three to five years. I promised I would stay at least three and no longer than five, which is just happens to coincide with tenure. And I went about to do that. Didn't want to. And so um, at the same time, uh, Dave Lepla retired. And Jay was named director of bands, which changed things tremendously. So now the director of the marching band is Jay. And with my experience in the marching band world, uh, now I become even more important to being with my friend and uh, to, uh, you know, essentially put our thumbprint on the Purdue All-American Marching Band. And so I think probably that time in history of our lives, it was a good thing that they coincided. And of course, there were some devastating things that happened in Jay's family. And for a good friend to be here with him through all of that, I think was all, I think it, it, it's how it was supposed to be. And so at the end of the five years, because I basically said I'm not doing tenure, I had to retire again. So officially I was no longer a, a professor and now I didn't teach one concert band. Uh, so I did everything else. I continued everything else until um, 2018 when Diane passed away. And so now, you know, and I was planning to completely retire at, at that point because of her illness. And, uh, but when she did, then they came to me and said, we're not, we're not letting you leave. You cannot leave. And I, I said, thank goodness, because I would have lost both of my worlds all at the same time. So I'm at Purdue still, and they're taking care of me. And I'm trying to offer as much good stuff as I can. <laughs> Sometimes you have to help me with what I remember, but <laughs> I think I'm okay. And I'm I'm running, I'm still assisting with the marching band, and I'm uh, still running the Partners in Music Education program, which is exactly my outlook on high school, mm -hmm. you know. Well, so many great experiences with the mar Purdue marching band, and then also you did the basketball pep band. Oh, my. It has to be just like a wonderful time. Oh, right? my. Another story, of course. So when I came to Purdue, I told Jay I would not do jazz because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and I won't do basketball because I've been there, done that. I have assistants to, that do that. And he said, you don't have to do jazz, but you're going to have to do basketball for one year. And that was Matt Painter's second year. And um, so begrudgingly, I did, did what I needed to do and my first meeting was with Elliot Bloom, who was director of men's basketball operations at the time. Now he sits on the bench next to Matt. And um, we had a good meeting and he basically said, uh, this is what we want you to do. And uh, we want you to become more involved. And, you know, they wanted us to wear the paint crew t-shirts, etc. Uh, sort of just uh, bring it up a little more to date. And so I went, set about building a uh, basketball pep band. And uh, it, it turned out to be one of the most fun things I've ever done. Uh, the parade of coaches that go through Mackey Arena 
the parade of coaches that I've seen at the NCAA from the visiting schools or the opposing schools and just being a part of the, the Purdue basketball program has been just really, really fun. I pinch my cheeks all the time saying, I cannot believe I'm here and doing this. And my band is really good. Uh, at first, you know, it, 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 I had some troubles at first and the basketball wasn't going very well. As soon as basketball got good, so did the band. And actually it was, the, the band has a limited number of seats. And so you have to uh, audition the band. And the better the team was, the more people that wanted those seats. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it got to be, I would kid Jay, sort of a kid, telling him, you know, I've got the best band on campus, right? Because mm-hmm. I've got a third of your wind ensemble, and I've got half of Moe's top jazz band, and I've got the leadership of the marching band, and I've got some of the uh, string players. So top to bottom, probably I'm more talented than your wind ensemble. <laughs> he didn't laugh as much as I did, but I thought it was pretty pretty funny. That's cool. Well, I have a couple more uh, questions about your career. Um, you've had a lot of wonderful people a part of your life. Is there any certain person or, or few people that you feel were your colleagues and mentors that really impacted you the most? You know, I think probably if you look at the stages, uh, Mr. Dunn and Mr. Barker at Madison Heights, Mr. Dunn at Ball State, they had a huge impact on me as to reaching for the stars and detail. And my wife fits right in there. You know, without her, uh, we went as a team until Gavin was born, flat out. Every band rehearsal, you know, whether, you know, if there was a rehearsal outside of school time, we were together. And so it was the the two of us working and then Mr. Dunn and Mr. Barker. And then the person that really adopted me, one was uh, Don Hoffman at Anderson, without me even knowing it, really. But he he was the guy that was a legend to me that I didn't even know he knew who I was that really paved the way for me to do things. You know, getting in Phi Beta Mu, he was my sponsor back in the 70s. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know anybody. Uh, the other person was Ray Laffin, who was an ISMA person. And that's why I became so involved in ISMA, ISS, I mean, ISMA, and also in the between the two. Bill Fred from Hartford City was in ISBOVA. And, of course, my mom and dad lived there for 12 years in my Three of my siblings actually went to school and were in the band with Bill. So these are things that happened. And then, of course, you know, meeting Lissa at Perry Meridian was another thing that has, you know, just ex- my world has expanded from Lissa. It's to Ray Kramer. It's to Jay Gephardt. You know, all of these things that I didn't set out to do have happened to me. You know, now it's Tim Lotzenheiser. He and I were in the Ball State Band together. And now, look, oh my gosh, you know, all of, he's he knows everybody all over the world. And I think, holy cow, I know him, <laughs> you know. So it's, I don't know, it's just the enthusiasm being a band kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my final question about this career is you, you've had all these wonderful experiences. If you If we had this magical time machine, you could go back and... Pick one or, or a period of time or pick a couple. Is there anything you'd just do over again? Or I would, n- I would not go back. 
I have never had a time that I said, I wish I could go back, you know, move from one job to the next. I don't regret leaving Monroe Central. I don't regret moving, leaving Winchester. I, I, you know, it was hard to leave the people. But as far as moving forward, it's always been in our lives going forward. Purdue is the same way. I don't, you know, people say, well, do you miss high school? No, I dearly loved it, but no, I don't. And I hope that when I really retire <laughs> to maybe my yard or something, mm -hmm. I hope I won't look back and say, I wish. And so far, I've been lucky. That's a great outlook. It's good to hear. All right, the fourth quarter is a silly quarter. Kind of fun here. So I don't know if you've heard any of these. Uh, other I probably haven't. Now, but but um, this is where we get to just ask you some kind of crazy questions about band. And um, you get to decide. For the sake of our little conversation here, you're deciding for everybody forever. Oh, okay? no. So, so this will be... And some of them we've asked... Everybody, we've, we've asked a couple of these questions to everybody just because they're really... They're just nonsensical, but, but also just kind of fun. So... Are you ready to give us some, some sure. quick, quick answers? <laughs> Alto clarinets. Got to include them or let's move on and get rid of them. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Band setup. This is for all of us forever. Tubas in the center or tubas on the right? I like them in the center. Okay. Uh, tuning your band from the top or the bottom? From the bottom. From the bottom. Okay. One of these songs gets to still exist and the other's going to be gone now. <laughs> Barnum Bailey's favorites or Rolling Thunder? You know, I would say Barnum and Bailey. Just my movie with the greatest show on earth back when I was in elementary school. <laughs> All right. Um, you've been told you're going to conduct a musical um, and you get to pick which one. Is it going to be The Music Man or The West Side Story? Definitely Music Man. <laughs> okay. Um, Plastic instruments. You secretly think they're sort of cool, or let's ban them forever. Ban forever. Okay. Um, let's see here. For all of us that are still doing contests, you get to decide for us. When we do a march, does it have to be first or last in your program order? I have to make that decision? Yeah, if you're deciding for all of us from now on. So. <laughs> Uh, last. Last. Okay. <clears throat> Tuning pitch for band. You get to decide what we have to use in every rehearsal from now on. Concert F or concert B flat? I can't say both, right? Nope, you got to pick one. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, we'll go with B flat. Okay. But that's a bad choice. <laughs> Here, here's a silly one for you. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Dogs, okay. Um, and my last question. Um, which one gets to exist after our interview? Sleigh Ride or Russian Christmas music? Russian Christmas. Okay. Well, I've had so much fun sitting here in your kitchen with you. you get to hear about as a band junkie. Uh, I couldn't be anywhere better, I don't think. So. Oh, this has been really fun for me. Now I want to hear your story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe someday. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. That concludes today's episode of The Real Deal. A special thanks to Max for agreeing to talk with me today. The Real Deal is hosted by me, Rick Granlund. This episode was edited and mixed by Connor Granlund. Our theme song is March of the Steelmen, performed by the 2009 Isma State Concert Band Champions, the North Central Wind Ensemble. Thank you for taking time to listen to The Real Deal podcast today. 
be sure to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RealDealPodIN. And make sure to subscribe for more interviews coming soon.